I have some news for you. Your soul was not designed for boredom. Let's unpack that just a little bit. We weren't designed, the deepest part of us, to be bored. Every person has to ask and answer the question. Every human being, what is ultimate reality? And when I discovered that ultimate reality, how should I respond to it? Those are two questions that every person has to wrestle with and is wrestling with, whether you know it or not. You may know that you've found an answer. You may not be aware. But we're all wrestling with what's ultimate reality, and when I discover it, how should I respond to it? Now, if it really is worthy of being called an ultimate reality, capital U, the big deal in the whole universe, then it shouldn't be boring, should it? When you find that thing, should, should it be something you'd respond to by going, yeah, ho-hum, whatever? No, it, it, if you have found a reality worth calling ultimate, then you should respond to it. I mean, it should grab you and pull you in and make you want to give your whole self to it. Right? So you weren't designed for boredom. You're designed to find something bigger than yourself, better than yourself, um, and respond to it with your whole self. Now, here's where we hit a problem. It's hard to respond to something with your whole self if you don't know what it means to be a whole self. It's hard to use muscles you don't know you have, right? So what we want to do over the next several weeks is is let these worship songs, the psalms, teach us to use new muscles, to respond to God with our whole self including a part of the self that is neglected in modern culture and in most Christian traditions as well. Um, As we do that, we'll discover that we weren't designed for boredom. We were designed for delight. Uh, Let's unpack that a little bit using Psalm 16 this morning. Emily's going to come and read for us. Like Jimmy said, this morning's scripture passage comes from Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones, in whom all is my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of bud I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. 
For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are the pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. God. God. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, this morning I, I come before you and ask on behalf of many others gathered here this morning that you would be with people who are here today who don't know that they're searching for ultimate reality and, and help them, Lord, to open their eyes to that need not just to drift along and coast through life, but to, but to search for something bigger and better than ourselves and then to give our whole self to it in response. And I pray for those who are searching for that kind of reality but have not yet found it and their hearts feel like they will break, like they will run out of energy before they get to the end of the search. God, would you show them mercy and sustain them as they look and long for something they have not yet found. And Lord, I pray for those who have been found by you, who have found you and discovered you to be that ultimate reality, bigger and better than ourselves. And if their delight in you has begun to dim, would you restore it today? Amen. So Tricia and I just returned yesterday from a short trip to St. Louis, where, among other things, we got to visit our daughter Caroline at Covenant Seminary. Uh, while we were there, there was a, a conference that we were able to stay for, um, honoring the ways in which a dear friend of ours has uh, modeled love for people over years and years and trained many generations of students at Covenant Seminary, myself included, and trained generations of faculty uh, as well. What it is to, to share with people who don't believe in Jesus, what it means to delight in Jesus and to do that in in ways of real compassion and integrity. Uh, his name is Jerem Bars, and in honor of him, they published a collection of uh, short essays and things that he had written. So, uh, as one does on an airplane, you know, when the Wi-Fi is not working and um, you're just looking for something to read, I'm, I was thumbing through it and found this essay that reminded me of the first day I sat in Jerem's class as a student. And he began in class and here in this little article addressing a false model of spirituality. And it's interesting to me, the number one place that he's, he started, like if you have a distorted view of spirituality, it's probably like this. So let's just go ahead and address this one out of the gate. And here's the place he chose to start. What does it mean to be spiritual? Is true spirituality measured by the extent to which I learn to control and perhaps even suppress my human desires? Right? The subtext 
if I'm spiritual, I don't desire things. And he goes on to say, you know, I, is spirituality the practice of saying no to things I enjoy? Music, reading, foods, dining, watching a movie? Is spirituality demonstrating that what I desire and enjoy is no longer of any significance? Now think of all the distortions of spirituality that exist in our world and where you might start if you wanted to help people get on a better path. Why start there? Well, that's what we're learning over the next several weeks, starting there because there is this misconception of what it means to be a spiritual being, a person with a mature spiritual side, a healthy, mature soul. One of those distortions is it may be a lot of things, but it isn't about enjoyment and it isn't about delight. Well, that's just plain wrong. Um, and we're going to delight to see that that's true over the next several weeks. So let's start here today. Let's start with this question of, of what it would mean to respond in a right way to ultimate reality. And we're going to have to meet some little friends of mine. I drew these guys. Um, this guy is a Presbyterian. You can see he has a really big head. Right? He's got hands and feet, and he's got a tiny little heart, too, but he's mostly head. Uh, so if I find the ultimate reality, I'm going to find it through reason. It's going to be about my intellect. It's going to be about sharpening my mind, getting my ideas and beliefs right. Now, that's partly true. That is part of the whole truth of what it means to be a human being. We do have an intellect. We do have minds and how we think. Our ideas are important. But there's more to us than that. The problem arises when we kind of overemphasize, overexercise that muscle, and we become this kind of brain-on-a-stick model of spirituality or humanity. Right? If, if I could just get all the right information dumped in there, I would become a whole mature human being. Um, other names for this, I could call it head, mind, or in terms of uh, Christianity, doctrine. Right? Important, but there's more to it than that, and some people have discovered that. And they're all about the hands. Right? Uh, give me a cause to get behind. Show me what I can do. Thinking, ideas, pish posh. Who needs to sit around thinking? I want to do stuff. I'm a doer. I'm a go-getter. I'm going to make things happen. This is someone who's overemphasizing what we call the will, that aspect of being human that's able to look at multiple options and choose one of them and commit to it and go for it and get it done. That's the will. Right? Do human beings have a will? Yes. The things we do, our hands and feet, right? Are, are those important? Yes, absolutely. But that's not all there is to being human. If we find ultimate reality, we need to respond to it with our head and with our hands. But we're still not done. <laughs> right? Uh, if, 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 if that guy was a Presbyterian, then maybe this guy's a Baptist or a you know, kind of progressive uh, Methodist or, you know, somebody who's really into 
causes and making it happen. And then there's this version of being human, right? Uh, kind of an overreaction to being around people who are all head or all hands. Is like, I want to be a, you guys are all neglecting the importance of the heart. The heart is the main thing. It's the most important thing. And, of course, it can be overdone. Um, so what are, what are we as human beings? We are head, hands, heart. We, we are all of these things. Uh, we have a mind. We have a will. And we have what older generations would have called affections. Notice I'm not using the word emotions here. More on that later. They're related, but doctrine, duty, delight, right? What I do with my head, the doctrines I commit myself to with my head, that's important. What duties I carry out with my hands, that's critical, absolutely important. That we find a reality bigger and better than ourselves, something that we could believe in with our heads and commit ourselves to choose and act on with the will but something we can delight in as well. Doctrine's important, duty's important, but delight gets neglected in our culture by and large. And uh, so this guy's going to sit around critiquing that guy, right? Oh, well, you know, he's not intellectual enough, not deep enough, hasn't read enough, doesn't know enough ideas, couldn't think his way out of a paper bag. He's all emotions, all heart. Well, he's not doing much better back here, right? He's just as distorted, only in a different direction. This person's distorted. Here's what we're aiming for is to grow and be whole people responding to that ultimate reality with head, hands, and heart mind, will, and affections, finding things we can believe, things we can commit our actions to, and things that we can delight in. Listen to the way that this psalm just overflows with the vocabulary of the heart, the affections of delighting in an ultimate reality. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, there are the excellent ones in whom is all my Delight. Delight is a big deal. I'm going to write a poem and sing about it. It's such a big deal in my life. Verse 6, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. What does that mean? We'll talk about it later. But right now, I want us to just notice the word beautiful and the word pleasant. Whatever these lines are and whatever it means that they fell somewhere, it is a pleasing thing and it is a beautiful thing. And I am not just a brain on a stick. And I'm not just about show me what to do next. Some realities I can look at and my right response is just to go, this is lovely, this is beautiful, this is delightful, and I delight in it. And we keep going and the psalm just piles it up, right? Verse 9, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. And then it closes, of course, with um, this promise that in God's presence there is fullness of Ideas, fullness of intellectual truth. Well, yeah, that's accurate. That's not what the psalm is about. Fullness of instructions on what to do and what to avoid doing. Well, yeah, that's true, but that's not what this psalm is about. Fullness of, you heard what Emily read, right? Fullness of joy at your right hand 
our pleasures forever. Wow. So a couple of corrections really quick. If, if we're on our way to maturity, we're, we're maturing in all these ways together. In our culture, post-enlightenment, rationalism, dedication to quote-unquote objective scientific knowledge is going to tend to overemphasize the head and tell you that if you love it, it cannot be true. Because real truth, real knowledge is just about the intellect. That's false. By the way, no actual scientist really believes that, um, and we'll see that over the next several weeks. And America then, you know, is this very pragmatic culture. We're all about getting stuff done. You don't, don't think it through, just go do it. Right? Like my old football coach used to say, if you don't know who to hit, hit somebody hard. <laughs> just do something, get something done. Okay, okay, those are parts of being human, but so is this neglected aspect of delighting in something, having a heart. When we talk about heart, we're not just talking about the emotions or feelings. Think of it this way. What, what we're describing today as the heart is like a metal detector. And it's got these indicator lights on it. And with a metal detector, what you're doing is sweeping the ground, trying to make those lights go off because it's all about the lights. No, it's not. It's not all about the lights. What's it about? It's about buried treasure. It's about treasure that's deep down. And those indicator lights going off meep, 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 means, hey, you're close to the treasure. Emotions are like those indicator lights. They go off, meep, 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 pointing us to some really deep thing that we treasure. That's what we're describing as the heart and what older generations might have called the affections. Related to the emotions, yes but deeper than emotions. So the emotion of grief and sorrow when I lose a loved one is, is this light going off saying, you have a really deep desire to be with and close to people you love. And let those tears point you to that deep desire and you keep looking for a reality that can satisfy that longing. Don't go looking for something that can just wipe the tears away, take the emotions away. Those emotions are good. They're telling you, you were built for this deep, deep thing. Or why is it when a four-year-old tells a corny knock-knock joke, you laugh anyway? You know it's not funny. And you know they messed up the timing of the joke. But you laugh anyway. Why do you laugh at silliness? Well, that, that kind of emotion of, of, of happiness in the presence of silliness is, is meep, 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 that indicator like going off saying, you were made to delight in good things. You were made for joy, and you're so sensitive and looking for opportunities to rejoice in something that you'll laugh at the corny four-year-old knock-knock joke. Emotions are good. Many times they're hard. Right? But they always are pointing this deep thing that we treasure, this something that we were designed for. So um, 
Yeah, anxiety. That's an emotion. Beep, 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 beep. It's telling me I got this deep longing for peace and security. I got this deep longing to live in a world where the future is not uncertain. And I need to keep looking until I find a way to that future and that world. That's the heart. Deep, deep desires and longings that are so critical and important. Now, one other correction here. If, if heart isn't just emotions or feelings, related but, but not reducible down to that, heart is also not sort of the Disney model. Follow your heart. Heart equals inward retreat. Heart equals, let, you know, let me just... If you desire it, you deserve it. That's what the language of heart often means in our world today. I don't think that's actually true, and I don't think any of us really believe it. Because everyone you know, if you desire it, you deserve it. Everybody you know has distorted desires that neither they nor anyone deserves to have come true. Some of our dreams, if we followed them and they came true, it would be great for us and the rest of the world. But some of our distorted desires, if they came true, it would be a nightmare. I need a reality. I don't need to retreat inside myself. I need to find a reality outside myself that is bigger and purer than I am so that when I delight in it, it begins actually to undo some of the distortions of my desires. If you're not a Christian today and you're not looking for a reality that big and that good, let me encourage you to do that. And, and maybe your first instinct won't be to look in the direction of Christian truth to find it. That's okay. It's better that you start seeking something bigger and better than yourself. Right? Now, as a believer in Jesus... I do think that you'll find that ultimate reality in the God who's made himself known in Christ. I know it's not always one easy step to get there from where your search begins. But um, don't retreat inward. Heart doesn't mean that. right? It means looking for a reality outside ourselves. Well, what's that ultimate reality? The psalm we... Uh, heard read this morning just starts by saying up front it's Yahweh the God of Israel who has ultimately revealed himself in Jesus Christ and that's where the psalm starts right preserve me O God and you I take refuge I say to Yahweh the Lord you are my Lord I have no good thing apart from you I want good things beep 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 I was made to treasure deep <laughs> things and I can't have any of them apart from you. You are all of that for me. But notice how the psalm writer goes on to show their awareness that there are other options in this world. Not everybody in this world finds God to be the ultimate reality. And the psalm writer isn't kind of retreating into some cave and going, you know, all I know is God, and I live this like little naive existence. No, he's saying... I found you to be the one that answers all the deepest longings of my soul, all the good things I long for to be found in you. But I know I live in a world where other gods promise good things. Verse 4, 
The sorrows of those who run after another God will multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. Here's the psalmist saying, I don't want to delight in a God who wants me to sacrifice my children to them. That, that's the context in ancient Israel. Right? I don't want to delight in a God who says, I am pleased with the offerings of the innocent. I am pleased when the, the blood of children is spilled to keep me on my throne. That kind of God will multiply sorrows. Good things promised by other gods are not the ultimate reality. Notice, though, how even the, the psalmist even critiques their own tradition a little bit in verses 5 and 6. The good things promised by the real God are not the ultimate reality. You notice that? My... <laughs> My greatest blessing isn't this little piece of land in the promised land that I have inherited. That's what all this vocabulary about chosen portion and lot and lines falling in pleasant places is about. I'm an Israelite who was promised peace and security in the land. And I have inherited a portion of that land. And the, the lines, the boundaries fall in certain places, and that's a good thing. But notice what all of this is being used for the, the songwriter to say, my beautiful inheritance isn't that piece of land. It isn't the security I would know because the crops come in every season. My beautiful inheritance is God himself, verse 5. Even the good things promised by God are not my ultimate good. But the Lord himself is my good thing, my chosen portion, my cup. Cups filled with something you can drink in a world that's desert are a big deal. And to say, God, you are my cup. When I'm thirsty, I will come to you. You will satisfy that deep desire for life giving water and wine and when I'm a stranger and I'm welcome to the table and given a cup with the best wine in it God you are the one who welcomes me home we won't find ultimate reality in our own wisdom this psalm says how do we know that verse 7 says the Lord gives me counsel I don't know how to live. I need somebody to instruct me and guide me. The Lord gives me that guidance. In the context of ancient Israel, where do I find that guidance? Well, the psalmist would find it in the, the instructions of the Lord, the stories he tells in his word, the commandments he gives. And then, in the night, my heart instructs me. After learning from the Lord's guidance, my heart mm, instructs is not the best translation here. Corrects me, rebukes me. My heart tells me I'm not living in line with the Lord's guidance. I'm not going to trust my own wisdom to be my ultimate reality. And then, of course, the psalm says death is not the ultimate reality. 
I don't want God to abandon my soul to the grave. Sheol is a way of talking about the grave. I don't want my body to see corruption and decay. I don't want to live in a world where death is the ultimate reality. So this is not a naive song that says, I grew up going to Sunday school, all I know about is God. This is a fully aware song that says, there are a lot of things in this world competing to be my ultimate reality. But my ultimate reality is knowing this God who delights to give us himself as our chief treasure. And if he gives us himself, and if he would become our chosen portion and our cup and our beautiful inheritance and the source of every good thing so that we long for no good thing apart from him, if he will give us himself, then he will give us every other delight. That's why we can say at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's the logic that the New Testament unfolds. It's it's summarized in one verse of, of Paul's letter to the Romans in the 8th chapter. He asks us a question, and he says, If there is a God who didn't spare his own son, but he gave his own son for us, if God would do that, if God would give himself, give, give his own son to us and for us, then is there any way in which he would not also give us every lesser good? If he will give us that greatest joy, that greatest treasure, then won't he give us every other delight as well? Will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And the answer is, of course he will. If he will give us himself, if he will give us his greatest treasure then he will give us every other joy and every other delight. All things means that, that if you put your trust in this God who has revealed himself in Jesus Christ, then he will give you ultimately a healthy mind. and a holy will and a happy heart. Each of us longs for those things. And he doesn't desire to make us cartoons or caricatures, right? He is not desiring to make you this. If you think loving God and being a Christian means just right ideas and right beliefs and right doctrine. No. He will graciously give you all things. Not just a renewed mind. Not just a healthy mind. But also He will give you, He will make you a whole person. Um, I want to show you the cover of a book I like to recommend. We're going to breeze by this. Um, this is a book by a man named Sam Storms called One Thing. 
developing a passion for the beauty of God. Uh, there's a little book by John Piper called The Dangerous Duty of Delight uh, that I put in this kind of same category. This book by Sam Storms, one thing. Another book by Sam Storms called Pleasures Evermore. Um, if you were wanting to do some reading to help you start to develop this neglected muscle of, of delight, of seeking satisfaction of these deepest desires and longings, if you want to grow your heart as well as your mind and your will, your head and your hands, those would be good places to start. This is my personal favorite. One of the things he says in that book is, I don't simply want to live the Christian life. I want to love living the Christian life. And that's what I want for each one of you. That's one of my deep longings. Is that each of you and a growing number of people who aren't yet here would learn to love finding this God and this Savior, Jesus, to be the kind of reality that we could respond to as whole people. So that we, let, let's kind of get over the doctrine-only model of Christianity. Not just what we believe, but do we delight in the things that we say we believe? Not just do I accept this as true, but am I filled with joy to know that these things are true? Not just that, well, you should believe the Bible because the Bible is the Word of God. Yeah, the Bible is God speaking to us. That should fill us with joy to know that God didn't just ignore us and leave us alone. He spoke to us in language that we can understand, language that can be translated in every nation on the face of the planet. And his love is so strong that it doesn't get lost in the process of translation. That should fill us with joy, not just a bare intellectual, yes, I believe the word of God. Get over that. No. As my British friends would say, rubbish. And let's get over this sense that Christianity is about doctrine, duty, and dullness. Believe the right stuff, do the right stuff, and just be bored forever. No. If he would give us himself, if he would give us his son, he will give us all things. And we will find that in him is fullness of joy. And at his right hand, pleasures forevermore.